It's a very stark word, and it's a very brutal reality that we're faced with. And it's an unusual topic for a series of sermons. Not heaven, not hell, not eternity, just death itself. And yet it's something we all face. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to examine what the Bible says about death, what we should be ready for in our lives and in the lives of those we love. And we want to give you not just, not just what the Bible says, but we want to help you get handles on that moment and find some very practical things to know as we face that reality. And so every week there's going to be a little something extra. This week, Marietta Webb has uh, volunteered to uh, teach us a little bit about something that's terribly important. And some of you may have done this and some of you haven't, but she's going to come and just share the facts about what it means to have a living will and a power of attorney for health care. So, Marietta. It is a beautiful fall day. Sam, a 45-year-old, is driving home from work when he gets a text from his wife reminding him of their daughter's soccer game. In his haste to get home, he starts to pass a tractor and a wagon. Unaware of the left turn signal on the equipment, he crashes broadside into the tractor. His injuries are critical, and he's airlifted to a trauma center. Who will make the necessary healthcare decisions in the coming days when he is unconscious and unable to? Whoever does make the decisions, will they do what Sam would want to have done? Illinois law recognizes two types of advanced directives that can be executed easily and without a lawyer. In 1983, the Living Will Act was initiated. In 1987, the power of attorney for health care law was enacted. These advanced directives allow you to be prepared for circumstance, as I, uh, the scenario I just mentioned, um, when you're unable to make your own health care decisions. It can be as drastic as that scenario, or it could just be an elderly person experiencing confusion and unable to make an informed decision, or somebody with a terminal condition. These two documents allow you to give a voice to your wishes when you're not there. And as a nurse, I've experienced the need for healthcare power of attorney and living will many times in my practice. And because medical personnel, nurses, doctors cannot make those decisions um, on their own. They need permission from a family member or somebody that you've appointed. So that's what these two um, documents are for. Um, the power for attorney for health care allows you to name someone that you trust to act on your behalf. And this process is very simple. Um, there's a form that you fill out that allows you to appoint anyone over the age of 18 to serve as your agent. Um, it also allows you to appoint successor agents if your primary one is not available at the time they're needed. Um, all you have to do is sign the document, um, get a witness, and then it is legal and binding at that point. The health care power of attorney remains in effect until you revoke it. And anyone over the age of 18 really needs to have a health care power of attorney. So if you take nothing away from what I say this morning, that's the most important thing. Anyone over the age of 18, because most of the time we think it's just elderly people that need these papers, and really anybody needs them, the, especially the health care power of attorney. Um, the second document is called a living will, and this basically gives direction for end-of-life wishes. 
The living uh, will form also needs to be filled out, signed by you, and witnessed by someone over 18. This document does not go in effect until you have a terminal illness that's certified by a physician. Once you've filled out both of these forms, there's a couple steps that are really important. Um, you need to, number one, give a copy of that to whoever you've appointed as your agent. Um, it's also important to give a copy to your doctor and to take it to the hospital that you usually go to. And then the, another really important thing is that you need to talk to your agent and your family members about what your preferences are, what your wishes are, so that they will know in that instance um, that they have to make the decisions for you. Some things you might want to consider to let them know is, do you want to be an organ donor? Um, do you want to have blood transfusions? Uh, if you're diagnosed with um, a terminal illness, how aggressive do you want them to be with um, the treatment for that? So of the two documents, the most important is the um, power of attorney for health care for everybody over 18. Um, and if, when you have this document, then that person is able to make you know, the decisions as during, for health care treatment and procedure as well as end-of-life decisions. So I have some um, booklets with me today, and I also have the actual forms that you can fill out. I'll be outside in the entryway at the end of church. Be willing to, you know, give you the booklet, the forms, and if you have questions about filling them out, you know, the best of my knowledge, I will help you do that. Thank you. As we've been making plans for this series, it's been amazing to me to see the number of people who have contacted me and desiring to help uh, because they've gone through a lot um, and they've understood the need for, uh, for those kind of forms. Teresa Marsh yesterday got a hold, the other day got a hold of me and said, if anyone needs help knowing how to fill those out, she's been through a lot of that lately with her father. And so she has graciously volunteered her, her help too, if anyone needs a little advice on getting through those forms. That man is Aubrey de Grey. He is not the new lead guitarist for ZZ Top. You might think he is. Aubrey de Grey is a scientist. He uh, specializes in the theoretical field of gerontology. Now, gerontology, you're probably wondering, what is that? What's it about? And it, it sounds similar to a word that some of you may be familiar with, uh, geriatrics. Anyone particularly afflicted by geriatrics now? Geriatrics is the study of the healthcare. Uh, for the elderly. Gerontology is the study of the processes that cause aging. Processes like cellular breakdown. After a while, after, after cells have divided and divided and divided, they, they kind of lose their ability to continue to divide correctly and, and junk accumulates in our DNA and in our cells and certain Parts of us lose their elasticity and, and our hair changes colors and wrinkles develop and those are all processes that cause aging and Aubrey de Grey's idea, his goal is to develop therapies that will stop the process of aging and reverse the damage of aging. In fact, he famously claims that the first person who will live to be a thousand years old is already alive today and probably in their 50s or 60s. Now, how many of you are in your 50s or 60s today? Okay, could be you. 
I can't, I'm not saying it's not. It could be you. And before you groan and wonder why on earth would he make that kind of claim, and, and more importantly, why would anyone want to live to be a thousand? You know, and, you're, and you're thinking of all the aches and pains that I have today and the confusion that's sometimes there and I have to take all of these pills and you know, all these problems I'm facing. He is talking about living without aging, without disease, without high blood pressure, without cholesterol, without dementia. He's talking about 1,000 years of productivity, creativity, and enjoyment of life. Not living as a burden to society or as a burden to your family, but living a healthy, robust, and very long life. Now, whether or not you buy that, realize scientists are having these discussions. People are having this, this discussion. Science and medicine have reached a point where they see this as something that's on the horizon, something that we're already developing. This is not a matter of science fiction. It's not a flight of fantasy. It is a real, a real study that's being researched right now. What I see, though, is another symptom of our society's ever-deepening denial of death. We don't want to talk about death. We don't want to face death. We don't want to deal with death. And now, thanks to science... We might not have to, at least for a thousand years. In our world, we pour billions of dollars every year into the denial of the truth of death. From, from wrinkle creams that conceal and even reverse the, the effects of aging, to diet supplements to help us get back to where we were before, to, to gym memberships, because doggone it, this time we're going to be serious about it to uh, plastic surgeries and medications and therapies designed to overcome our weaknesses and help us to, to live longer, we as a society are scared to death of death. There's a fine line between our avoidance of the issue and obsession. And the truth is we are obsessed with death as a culture. And as the church, we need to understand that we live in a world where many people simply aren't willing to deal with the reality of death. People are scared to death of death. So a lot of people have been asking me, why are you doing a whole series on death? Why do you want to do this? Not, again, not heaven, not hell, not eternity, but the cold reality of death, the reality that we all have to face. I get called to do a lot of funerals. I, I, I do a lot of those, and one of the first things I do is I meet with the family, and I ask questions about their loved one's wishes and questions about what they liked, who they were, what they would like me to say. And the vast majority of people in that moment, of course, in that moment, they're in shock. The vast majority of people, they, they have no idea what to say. And it's become apparent to me that people are totally unprepared for the reality of this topic and this discussion. And the sad thing is, I wish I could say that Christian families are different, but the majority of us aren't. More often than not, I get one of two responses when I talk to someone about death. One response is, well, we're not going to have to worry about that for a long time, are we? <laughs> really? How do you know that? Are you sure? The other response, and, and I love your faith, and I love the hope that you have, but the other response I get when we talk about death, and I talk, I'm talking to Christians, a, 
a lot of times their response will be, well, I just hope the Lord comes back before I have to deal with that. (laughs) Christians have been hoping that for 2,000 years. And they've had to deal with death. It might be important for us to understand death. It makes me wonder, why are we, of all people, so afraid of this topic? Why are we afraid of death? You go back to Genesis. You go back to the very beginning, and you can't miss that the first recorded interaction that God has with Adam, the very first recorded interaction that we have where God spoke to Adam, he talked about death. You find it in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 2, and if you're using those Bibles in the pews, it's on page number 2. I wish the rest of it continued on like that, but it's on page number 2 in the Bibles. And in Genesis chapter 2, God speaks to Adam first time, and he says in verse, beginning in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. <clears throat> Before God brought the animals to Adam to see what he would name them, Before God put him to sleep and took his rib and created Eve, God spoke to Adam about the reality of death. And he said, if you do this on the day that you do it, you will surely die. And so chapter 3 comes in, which is on page 3, by the way. Chapter 3 comes in, and we have the temptation, and Eve takes the fruit, and she eats of it. She gives it to her husband who was with her, and he eats of it. But did you notice something? They didn't die. They didn't die on the day that they did that. It it doesn't happen. They didn't die. God said, on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. It, It didn't happen. But what did happen? What happened was the course of their lives were changed. The course was now set on destruction. Death became a reality that they had to live with. And that's the course that our lives continue on today. The course applied to their lives continues with us. And if you go over to chapter 3, and you see when God hands out the curses, He speaks to Eve. And He says in verse 16, To the woman He said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of, out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. The focus of those curses is pain, futility, and ultimately death, returning to dust. No one escapes that reality. No one gets a pass. There's no way to deny it. You can go out to Fairview Cemetery, just a mile outside of town, and you can walk around. And you can, you can find this a lot, but let's just take, for example, just for example, you go find some tombstone, some gravestone out there where someone has died in 
1925. Okay, find a tombstone where someone died in 1925. You're suddenly aware of the reality that that individual has spent more time under the ground than they spent above the ground. Right? They've spent more time under the ground than above the ground. So if that is the ultimate end, and if that is the ultimate reality that we all have to deal with, and if that is where we will spend the majority of our eternal existence (laughs) in the reality of death, shouldn't we pay more attention to it? You know, and even if Aubrey de Grey is right, and the first person to live to be a thousand years old is alive today, he still hasn't defeated death. A thousand years is just a thousand years. And eternity is so much more vast than that. Over and over again through Scripture, God reminds us that death is a universal experience. None of us can escape it. However, acknowledging that allows God to work His grace and His redemption through death. I grew up in a home where faith wasn't talked about much. Not in those days. It's talked about a lot more in our home now. But when I was 16 years old and I gave my life to Christ, I began to wonder, who's going to teach me how to die like a Christian? You know, I I would see these people and I would hear these stories and people would tell me these wonderful stories about their old sainted grandparents and uh, their old sainted grandmother, old sainted grandfather, someone who displayed grace through their lives and through that moment of death, they, they had this incredible hope. And I started to wonder, who, uh, who is going to teach me how to die like a believer? So I began to look at, at older men in the churches where I served, and, and to my surprise, they avoided the topic just like we did at home. They didn't want to talk about it. They seemed just as scared as the non-Christians I knew. Nobody teaches us how to die anymore. You know, there was a day when, when most, most deaths occurred in the home, right? That wasn't too long ago. There was a day when most deaths occurred at home, surrounded by your loved ones, surrounded by your family. And now we, we ship people off to hospitals where they're going to get taken care of very, very well. Or we have them in nursing homes where they're going to receive excellent care. And, and when they finally pass, we call someone like Gerald in and and they're cleaned up for us, and everything is, is, is made to look good. And when we finally see them, we say, don't they look natural? When the truth is, they look anything but natural. They look anything but natural. And, and don't hear that as an indictment against our practices. I, we do amazing end-of-life care. I see nurses every week, and and I, in nursing homes and, and the hospice workers and so many others, they do amazing care, and they are such a blessing for us. But what does that do for us who don't know how to die? What does that do for us who never face the reality of that moment? God addressed it right from the beginning. You think about that. The one being in the universe that is eternal, that never had to face death, addressed it first. He was the first one to talk about it. And in fact, when he acted to solve the human problem, he sent his son to live and to die, to face what so many of us refuse to acknowledge. There's this little verse in the Old Testament that just kind of blew my mind this week. And you find it in, in 2 Samuel 14, 
14. It's just an amazing little verse. You would hardly notice it at all, but it has amazing implications for how we handle the reality of death. First, or 2 Samuel 14, 14. It says, we must all die. Okay, that's, that's pretty black and white right there. It's black and white in my Bible. We must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. You get the imagery of that? It's not spilled on a linoleum floor where you're going to wipe it up and, you know, it's on the ground. It's gone. You know, you're never going to get it back in the bottle. It's never going to be back. We are like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. But God will not take away life. And He devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. Now, you and I hear that Scripture. And we hear Jesus in that, don't we? We hear the good news. God's not going to allow me to remain an outcast. God's not going to let me be banished. Death is not going to separate me from God. Jesus is a, a friend to the outcast. And through His death and through uh, through his death, we find redemption. We find the, the promise of eternal life. Uh, we get that. We see that. But what about people in your life who don't know Jesus? But they do know you. What about people in your life who don't know Jesus, but they do know you? What could they learn about him through your approach to death? What could they learn about Him through the way that you face the reality of your own death? Who could you teach to die like a believer? That's why we're spending a month on this topic. Because how we deal with death is at least as important as how we deal with life. God has this amazing plan to redeem you, to save you, to, to set you free from this curse how are your family and friends going to see that as they watch you face that reality? What will that do to their faith? So we're going to take an honest look at what death is over the next few weeks. And like today, with Marietta, we're going to try to, to face it with some personal applications, things that you need to know, not only to be ready for yourself, but to be a blessing to those who will care for you, to be a blessing for your friends and your family, for those around you, so that your life and death both stand as a testimony to your faith and to the hope that you have and the trust that you place in a God who has a plan to overcome death. In a few moments, we're going to the table. We're going to take the bread. And we're going to take the cup. We did... We looked last week at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said? In 1 Corinthians 11, 20, 26, Paul said, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Paul said, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. He didn't say we proclaim His, his burial. Although his burial was very important. His burial in a rich man's tomb, that was pro prophesied. It was something that pointed to God's plan and God's provision for his son. He doesn't say 
we proclaim His resurrection, which we might argue is the single most important event in all of human history, that death did not keep Him there, but that He was resurrected. Paul says, you, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. We proclaim that moment that He faced for us. That He went there because we have to go there. We proclaim the good news of a God who gave everything so that we might not fear death. As a church, it's, it's a moment that we've faced together in so many ways. It's a moment that we've faced with each other and, and for each other. I want to know how to die like a believer. I want to know what it means to, to face that reality so that when that moment comes, people see faith. A faith that, that saw me through this world. So that when they face their own reality, they might say, that's, that's what I want. I want that kind of faith. It starts with knowing Jesus. It starts with knowing the, the faith that He carried with Him through this life and the faith that carried Him on beyond death. It starts with proclaiming that that is the single most important event. And we go back to it week after week. We're going to go to the table in just a few moments. The guys are going to come forward. And as we celebrate and as we remember today, I just invite you to consider what does the death of Christ mean, not just for your life, what does it mean for that moment that you will face? What does it mean for your faith? Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, it's a topic we, we don't always want to talk about. We want to skip past it. We want to get right to heaven. We want to, we want to talk about pearly gates and we want to talk about streets of gold and we want to talk about eternity with you. Father, just as surely as you lead us through this life, I believe that you lead us through the process of death. And so, Lord, we come to you today preparing to take the supper, preparing to come to the table and, and remember the death of Jesus. A death that had meaning so that our deaths might have meaning. So that the way that we die might impact somebody with your grace and with your truth and with the faith that we have. Thank you for the promise we have of meeting you here in this moment. And thank you for the promise that we have of, of you meeting us, not just through our lives, but through our deaths. We give all of that to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.